Welcome to See Uncovered, a place where you'll find the stories of proven entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Ashley Henschel. to welcome Jason Pfeiffer, Editor-in-Chief of Entrepreneur Magazine, a podcast host, book author, and keynote speaker. Thank you for being with us, Jason. Thanks for having me. Of course. I wanted to start out with your background. Can you give us a little gist about who you are? Yeah, sure. So I started as a newspaper reporter, community news, local news, the guy writing what was happening with the middle school dance. And I eventually discovered that Staying at that job and following what seemed like the straightforward path was not the thing that was going to get me where I wanted to go. And honestly, I didn't exactly know where that was that I wanted to go, but I knew that I wanted to do something big. I knew I wanted to work at high levels and achieve a lot. And I realized working at that first job about a year or two, a year and change into it, that nobody at the kinds of publications that I wanted to work for. I dreamed of writing for the New York Times or the Washington Post. And here I was working at Gardner, the Gardner News in Gardner, Massachusetts, circulation 6,000, writing about nothing, that nobody from the New York Times was ever going to be like, you know what, kid, we read your story about the local diner. Come on up, bring me up to the big leagues. Nobody was going to do that. And so I had to go to them. And that meant that I quit my job and I sat in my bedroom for nine months in a, in a tiny dumpy apartment next to a graveyard. And I cold pitched and I reached out and I worked on my skills and I made connections and I started to build the kind of body of work that I knew people would take seriously because I was going to go to them. I was going to pitch those big places. Anyway, that's basically what I've done ever since I have, um, I've worked in newspapers. I've worked in magazines. Uh, I worked for men's health, fast company, Maxim magazine, uh, entrepreneur. I now run entrepreneur as, as editor in chief and, um, am always, always, always thinking about how to go to them, how to never sit around and wait for somebody to discover me, but instead how to build the kinds of things that get me to where I want to go next. What sparked your passion for writing? I, realized fairly early in high school that writing, and I didn't know what kind of writing, but writing sat somewhere at the intersection of what I think is is the most important intersection you can find in your life. And that is the intersection of what you're interested in and what you're good at, mm-hmm. right? which is really important. We got to remember both of those, right? Like I'm interested in basketball. I'm not good at basketball. So there's no NBA future for me. Um, Like, what is the intersection of what you're interested in and what you're good at? And I found that I just had a, I just had an understanding of writing, which is not to say that I was good at it at the beginning. I mean, I I was guess I was good at it for my age, but now that I look back, I certainly wasn't good. But I, 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 it felt natural, and I was interested in it. And then I embarked upon a career-long journey to figure out what kind of writing I wanted to do, how to make it most useful to me, and and what was most natural for me and useful for others. Mm-hmm. 
what, can you explain your role as editor-in-chief for those who don't know what you do? Yeah, it's very common. People ask me all the time, what the hell is an editor-in-chief? And the answer is that it's kind of different per yeah. publication. But broadly speaking, I am the guy who oversees all editorial at Entrepreneur, which is to say any decisions that are editorially based, which I'm distinguishing from business-based. Mm -hmm. right? I don't come up with new products. I don't run the ad the advertising department, but anything that's about content, anything that's about communications, storytelling, what we're, our, what our direction is for the print magazine, for online, for thinking about podcasts and videos, that's what I'm involved in. And I, as on a day-to-day -day basis, I'm, I'm, I'm most involved, frankly, with the print magazine, with uh, assigning and editing stories for the print magazine and working very closely with that team. But I also work closely with the digital team and uh, overall strategy for the brand. What leadership style do you use to help boost your teams? So I really love this phrase called servant leadership, which mm -hmm. is to say that you are not the person who is just dictating from above. You are there to serve your team. And I try to embrace that as much as I can. I am also the exact opposite of a micromanager. The uh, Just the exact, I mean, my team would laugh if they heard me because People who work with me will go days, frankly, without hearing from me. And that's because I don't think that every moment of every day, I am a productive presence in other people's lives, mm -hmm. right? If I'm asking you a question, you have to drop everything and answer me. And that's not productive. Sometimes you just have to get your work done and you don't want to hear from me. Mm -hmm. uh, just like I have a boss too, right? I, I don't own this magazine. My boss is the president of the company. I don't want to hear from him every day because it's, it, it takes up my time. So I try to be a servant as a leader, and I also try to be trustworthy uh, and to base all my interactions upon the trust that I have in the team that I have. I want to hire great people and then trust them to do great work. Do you have any ways to help shift um, your team's mindset to embrace new things? I, I talk a lot about change and how to embrace change more broadly. And so I have a lot of philosophies that I, I share with people when I give talks at companies or whatever the case is. With my own team, one of the things that I have reiterated to them over and over again, and that we have turned into a point of pride in the culture, particularly of the print magazine, is I have this phrase, it's not a sexy phrase, but it's a very useful one. And it is, I will do the best work with the resources available, which is to say, let us not drive ourselves insane imagining what we could do if we had double the resources. We don't. We have the resources available and we will do the absolute best that we can with those. And that means that you start to make some sacrifices and you start to change the way that you think about doing the work that you do and letting go of what you might've learned before. So I'll give you a quick example. The, my team on the print side, they are experienced magazine makers. The creative director, Paul, he has been a creative director at multiple other magazines and a designer at many more. And we're talking really big brands like Esquire. And so, and, and my, my photo, <clears throat> my photo director, Judith, she, uh, she was previously at the New York Times Tea Style Magazine. I mean, these are really accomplished people. Yeah. And 
they come from backgrounds, as I do, in which there were frankly more people mm-hmm. and uh, and and um, and more and there was more money. And that's not uh, a knock on entrepreneur. Entrepreneur is simply a smaller brand than yeah. you know than some of these other ones. Uh, we we are an independent, family owned company, which I think is so wonderful. It means that we're not part of some conglomerate. We don't have investor dollars to to throw around. We have to live within our means, and so that means that we're not going to do some of the excessive things that some other places would have done. I, when I was at Boston Magazine, that was my first magazine job. I was responsible for eight pages in the magazine every month. Eight pages. I mean, that is a luxury. I I don't think anybody in magazines has anymore. And when I think back on that time and I think, what on earth did I do every month only being responsible for eight pages? I remember all these times where the editor-in-chief of that magazine would come over to me with a printout of, of a page. So we circulate pages and page proofs and printouts. And he would have circled the caption on a photo on one of my pages. And he would say, you know... I think that this could be funnier. And then he'd walk away. And then I would sit there for two hours coming up with like 40 different captions. And then I would go and I would sit outside his office until he was ready to see me. And then I would put it in front of him and then he would look at it and he would pick one and we would move along. And now I look back on that and I think, what a terrible waste of time that was. I don't need to do that at entrepreneur. That's a ridiculous thing to do at entrepreneur, right? I don't have the, first of all, nobody has the time for that. Nobody has two hours to spend on a caption, but also no reader. I am sure of it picks up the magazine because of the captions, and the photos, they just don't do that. So why would I spend valuable resources on something that doesn't matter? That is how we like to think at this brand, which is to say, it doesn't matter how we did things before we are going to remake everything in service of making the best thing that we can with the resources available. And when you think that way, you start to get excited about change because it means that you can redefine the way that you do things. In your perspective, how do you think journalism has changed in the last 20 years? Uh, so that's a big question. Um, it's changed in many ways and in some ways it hasn't changed at all, right? I mean, the the basic tenets of journalism, which is to say to inform your readers and to do so in a responsible manner, um, responsible to your readers, responsible to your sources, um, and responsible to your profession, that hasn't changed. Now, are there bad actors out there? Yes. Were there bad actors 20 years ago? Yes. So, that's not to say that like I, I don't believe in the decline of things. Um, the the greatest concern that I have with journalism is, uh, and and this I think is the root of the the biggest changes that you've seen, uh, I, I, is that um, is that the business model has changed, yeah. and the business model has changed in a way in which most people in media haven't figured out exactly how to deal with. And this means, for example, that publications are no longer as profitable as they once were. I mean, when they didn't have the internet to compete with, it was a lot easier to sell ads, believe me. And and now it's much harder because the majority of ad dollars goes to Facebook and Google yeah. and everyone else is just fighting over scraps. So how do you how do you manage that? Well, you you cut your staff um, and you hire tons and tons of, and this is not me talking about entrepreneur, this is just me talking about the industry in general. You hire tons and tons of, frankly, very low paid young people. (laughs) Um, And and this can be 
of benefit to the young people who probably now have some more opportunities than they did before, but they have to be scrappy and strategic about it, which we can talk about in a second. But, um, but what it also means is that you've got a lot of inexperience, which is not to say that people are dumb or bad at their jobs, but it's just they they haven't been trained as much as somebody who's who who came up in a, in a different system, and um, and there are fewer uh, safety nets. So when you hire a ton of fresh out of college people and you ask them to produce two to five stories a day and you don't give them the editorial support to review or guide them, mistakes are going to be made, yeah. and that is a real shame. And, uh, and I think that ultimately the media is going to have to get out of this volume game mm -hmm. and think differently about what the product is that they're producing and the relationship that they have with their audience. And a bunch of these sites that sprung up out of nowhere as a way to chase SEO are probably going to die. And that's fine because I'm not sure how much value they're delivering to the world anyway. But the ultimate proposition that we're going to train people to go out and find important information and important stories and inform the public, that hasn't changed. And I don't think it will. Interesting. Changing gears a little bit, as a startup advisor, how mm -hmm. do you help companies and entrepreneurs? Well, I help them however they need help. Mm -hmm. uh, a startup advisor can mean a million different things. For me, what it means is that I have a select number of startups that I am an actual advisor to. A, a, it's, it's, it's on paper. I have equity in the company. And I, and I, do, I, I do this very sparingly because I don't have a lot of time, how but also because- Do it all. How what's you, that? How did you get into wanting to be a startup advisor? People just started coming to me, honestly. <laughs> uh, you know, it's not, I didn't like, I didn't like yeah. hang, a, hang a shingle out and say, come. Um, you know, the answer is that the, it, it happened in different ways. Sometimes it's, I interview somebody and then a year later they come back to me and they're like, Hey, I've got a new venture. I was really, I, I felt like you were really smart. We, we connected on that interview. Um, let me tell you about it and see if it's something you'd want to get involved in. Yeah. Uh, again, I, I get, I get that a lot. I say no 99% of the time. Um, occasionally I do, I do some consulting, some like, uh, out as a, some by the hour consulting, people can book me by the hour to talk. I do very little of it because I don't really have the time, but uh, but it's available. And once in the years that I've done that, once has somebody shown me their company and my mind was just blown and I suddenly had all this these ideas for them. And the guy was like, I would love for you to directly help us, not just for like this hour, but can you... Can you be an actual advisor? And I thought about it and I decided, you know, I just, I'm kind of blown away enough by this technology that I, I would like to be on that journey with you. Um, so again, very, very rare. And I, and I, and I have an absolute firewall. I should know a firewall between um, anybody that I'm working with mm -hmm. and coverage, right? I will never, ever, because this is one of the tenets of journalism and I don't want to abuse my reader's trust. I will never write about a company that I have a 
um, a, a relationship with. Yeah. So when somebody's building a relationship with me, they are not building a relationship with entrepreneur and they are not building a coverage relationship. Mm-hmm. They're building purely a advisory relationship. But yeah, you know, they came to me and I, I, I just, if I have something, if I have value to offer and and, and, and we're aligned on what that offering is, then it's an opportunity sometimes worth taking. What problems are you most seeing in these small companies? Well, you know, especially at the very early stages, Mm -hmm. you're seeing challenges with building strategic partnerships with funding, with refining the idea. I mean, one of the, one of the founders that I I'm working with, we'll send these emails out to his, his advisory team. There's like a few of us. And he'll say, I was just in touch with this congressman's office and here's an email I want to send them. And, you know, and then you read the email and it's like, oh no, don't send this to the congressman. Right. Like just because it's, because it's just not, it's not sending the right Uh signal or it's not describing something the right way or whatever the case is. And you know, I, I, so in that way, I'm stepping in to help him help, help this person shape the, Mm -hmm. the narrative of the company and, and some of the strategy for how to build great relationships. Um, and, uh, so, you know, you're, you're seeing, you're seeing everything from trying to understand product market fit, right? I've got a, I've got a great product. Do I understand the market well enough? Um, you know, and, and pushing them to dig deeper into people's pain points and make sure that we're building the product that really best understands and suits folks. And, and then once you get going, things are going to change or need to adapt and evolve. Uh, and, and, um, and just having, having an extra set of eyes on those kinds of things can be really useful. Speaking of having extra set of eyes, we live in a world now where everyone sees everything. How important is it to know the consequence for your actions in terms of business and posting and social media? Uh, Oh yeah. So you're talking about, you're talking about social media. Um, I think that transparency can be very, very attractive. Mm -hmm. And that the brands who win are the ones that consumers feel like they are a part of in some way. And it is, it is really valuable to connect with your audience wherever they are mm-hmm. in an, in a, in a, and I know this is a overused buzzword, but in an authentic way. Right. Which is to say it doesn't it shouldn't feel like it's coming from some PR person. It should feel like it's a constant pitch. You're bringing people into your world. Yeah. Uh, I think all of that is great. Can it can it go wrong? Yeah, sure can. (laughs) Can you can you step on it? You sure can. Um, I think that the way to think about it for, uh, you know, for, for any brand and this is this is the logic that I follow for my own personal brand and for entrepreneurs as well is understand very crisply what your mission is and how you fit into people's lives Mm -hmm. and then serve that. Right. So I understand for, I'll just speak personally. I understand that when people follow me on Instagram, what are they coming for? They're coming for a sense of belonging that I'm going to talk about challenges and I'm going to talk about how the journey of building your own thing is is difficult but also 
I'm going to be a relentless optimist and I'm going to show you why difficulty can be a strength and why change is hard, but it's a great opportunity. And this fits into their lives because the number one thing that they tell me is I needed to hear this today, right? I'm not often saying some kind of mind-blowing thing, uh, but what I am saying is something that hits people on the days where they are facing some kind of challenge and they feel alone and it's helpful to be reminded that they're not alone. Yeah. And that means that I have a, I've, I've established a mission for these people and a, a set of guidelines for myself. So tomorrow I am not going to wake up and start sharing my political views because that is off topic, right? It's just, it's not what they're coming to me for right. and there's no point to it. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to keep that to myself. And there's all sorts of other things that I keep to myself too, because you're not coming to me for that either. And so, you know, to your question, what should people share? I think that they should figure out what role they fit into people's lives and then yeah. serve that in a really fulfilling way and leave the rest to somebody else. So I saw you have two podcasts. Can you share um, what we can find on there and the names of them? Yeah. So uh, the, uh, uh, the first one is called Problem Solvers. It is a show about, if you can believe it, entrepreneurs solving problems. Uh, it's a pretty standard interview show. I Honestly, it started out as a more highly produced show, and then I just kind of ran out of time to do that. And so now it's more of an interview show. But I try to dig into uh, each episode is really just about one specific problem and one specific solution with pretty intriguing guests, both small and also the Maria Sharapovas and, and uh, uh, who, who else? I just interviewed Ray Dalio, you know, billionaire. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, anyway, so there's that. And then the one, honestly, that really fuels me more, I'll be frank with you, is called Build for Tomorrow. And that is a highly produced, each episode takes me more than a month to make wow. and a ton, a ton, a ton of research. It's a, it's, a, it's a produced show. It's like an audio documentary. And my goal with every episode is to identify some story that we tell ourselves or some fear that we have that's holding us back from progress or from believing that progress is possible. And then I dive deep into the history and the science behind that subject. I talk to all sorts of experts. I bring their voices in. I bring in archival you know, uh, our, our archival writings from newspapers in the 1800s. And I prove to you why the thing that you're worried about, you shouldn't be so worried about. So for example, are you addicted to technology? No, you're not addicted to technology. Or is, is uh, it, why, by the way, because when you talk to addiction researchers, they say that just the way that people are describing addiction with technology is just literally not how addiction works. You could be, or you could overuse technology, mm -hmm. but, um, and, and, and a lot of us do, we overuse technology without question. But when we start talking about addiction, what we're doing is we're creating a learned helplessness where we believe that we don't have the ability to change our own behavior. And that's not true. We do have that ability. Um, are participation trophies harming young people? No, that's completely ridiculous. Participation trophies have been around since the 1920s. So these are the kinds of things that I, I dig into. And the people who listen to it tell me that it changes the way they think. And that's my goal. We can find that on Spotify. You can find that anywhere you find yeah. podcasts. Yeah, Spotify, Apple, Amazon Music, uh, Overcast, CastBox, whatever you want.
Thanks for listening to See Uncovered. You can check out more at www.createeveryopportunity.org. Thanks again.